There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. I like that. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. Of course, that little bit of music comes from the movie Groundhog Day. It's something we're going to talk about today, Greg. That's right. Yeah. February 2nd, 2-2-22 this year. Oh, right. 2-2-22. Right on. The only more significant number, which we probably won't be around for, is 2-2-22-22. I don't think it will be around for that <laughs> Somebody will. <laughs> And maybe they'll still be watching that movie Groundhog Day in that year. I would think so. But listen, last week we had Alison Schrager on our show talking about risk, at least from an economist's point of view. And today we're going to further that discussion on risk, but in a fun way. Because last week it was Groundhog Day on February 2nd. So that is a fun day in our household. And we annually watch the Bill Murray classic movie to celebrate it. We try to watch it every year. My wife reminded me that I watch it every year, but sometimes... Other people watch it with me. Not every year. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a good movie. I love that movie. It's great. I think it's one of the best movies out there, there ever. I'm calling it. But what is Groundhog Day? How did it start? And what link is there to investing? And that is what we're going to talk about on today's show. Crazy. Let's dive in. So here's some history on Groundhog Day. And this is from history.com. I guess that would make sense that a website called history.com would, <laughs> would have that kind of stuff. That's why they're there. So the first Groundhog Day celebration was in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. It was the brainchild of a local newspaper editor named Climber Freeze, and he sold a group of businessmen and groundhog hunters, if you can believe it. They were known as the Punxsutawney Groundhog Club. He sold them on the idea. So February 2nd, 1887, the men trekked to a site called Gobbler's Knob where the inaugural groundhog became the bearer of bad news when he saw his shadow. Perhaps a leading indicator when you leak it into finance. Nowadays, the yearly activities in Punxsutawney are presided over by a band of local dignitaries. They're called the Inner Circle. The members wear top hats and conduct the official proceedings in the Pennsylvania Dutch dialect. What is the Pennsylvania Dutch dialect? I don't know exactly, of? but apparently the groundhog understands groundhoggies, and that's how he relates. And so every February 2nd, tens of thousands of spectators attend Groundhog Day events in Punxsutawney, a borough that's home to about 6,000 people. So, of course, most of the people in the world yeah, go on. know this song and know the 1993 film Groundhog Day, starring Bill Murray. This was actually shot in Woodstock, Illinois. <laughs> cold out there every day greg oh it is and you know you can expect hazardous travel later today with that you know that uh, that blizzard thing well, that blizzard we're not going to play the whole movie just a little no. bit here's the report the national weather service is calling for a big blizzard thing yes now. they are but you know there's another reason why today is especially exciting 
Especially cold. Especially cold, yeah. okay. But the big question on everybody's lips... Everybody's chapped lips, Greg. They're chapped lips. Damn right. Lips. Do you think Phil's gonna come out and see a shadow? Punks a Tony Phil. That's right, woodchuck chuckers. It's Groundhog Day! <laughs> Gotta love that. Yeah. How accurate are Groundhogs? Ground, well, let's talk about that. But before, it's not just Punxsutawney Phil anymore. There's Groundhogs all over the place. Canada has their own. In Alberta alone, we've got good old Balzac Billy, but I think Balzac Billy is just a man in a gopher suit. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really the same thing. <laughs> oh, and there's Schenectady Sam in Nova Scotia. One. Oh, okay. Yeah, Schenectady, Schenectady Sam. Sam. Yeah. All right. And Wyerton Willie in Ontario. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway. How accurate are groundhogs? Well, sunny winter days are definitely associated with colder, drier air, but we probably shouldn't trade in our meteorologists for groundhogs just yet. So there were some studies done by the National Climatic Data Center and the Canadian Weather Service, and they've yielded a dismal success rate of about 50% for Punxsutawney Phil. So on average, Punxsutawney Phil has average results. Is this mean reversion in forecasting to actual events? Well, on the other hand, you've got Staten Island Chuck, and he's reportedly accurate about 80% of the time. It's quite a difference in outcomes. That's right. So is it because he's Chuck or because he's doing it on Staten Island and on Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania? And what about woolly bears? So for the last 30 years, residents of Vermilion, Ohio, have turned to a pretty different creature for their annual weather forecasting, the woolly bear caterpillar. You ever heard of that? No, never heard of that. So according to the tradition, if the bugs have more orange than black coloring in the autumn, the upcoming winter will be mild. Okay. And so they get more than 100,000 people attending the town's Woolly Bear Festival. It's been held every year since 1972. Why isn't a movie even made about the Woolly Bear Festival then? It doesn't have quite the same sound, does it? Groundhog Day, Woolly Bear Festival. Anyway, woolly bear caterpillars aren't the best prognosticators either. So their bands do vary from year to year, but the researchers have found that the variation is due to last year's weather and not the upcoming winter. So more like lagging indicators or even worse, hindsight bias, which we run into all the time. All the time, yeah. Well, speaking of Groundhog Day, because every day has sort of felt the same in a weird way for the last two years, I wanted to look at the results from February 2020 to February 2022. And the days have tended to run into each other and we've had repeated lockdowns and things like that that makes it feel like it's never changing, but there has been change. Definitely. And from a financial point of view, we've seen quite a bit of change. Like if you just look at how markets have behaved, I mean, the S&P 500 was at 3,235 points the first week of February 2020. And the first week of February 2022, it's up 40% from that number at around 4,519 points, which is quite a significant change over a two-year period. Who would have thunk it? Yeah, who would have thunk? Is thunk a word? No. Okay. Who would have thought the market would go up 40% as the result of a global economic shutdown? Exactly. And the most serious public health crisis in 100 years. Yeah. Now, the TSX also had some pretty significant gains, not as much as the S&P 500, but in those two-year periods, it was up around 22%. The price of oil, remember that day when oil went negative? That's right. That was pretty creaky. Freaky, yeah. I should say. Creaky and creaky, freaky. freaky yeah. yep. Who'd have thunk? But yep. the price of oil is up 78% in that two-year period, even though that one day it was actually a negative number. That's right. And really, when you think about like, aside from that negative number, I think oil kind of bottomed out at about $26 a barrel before starting back up again. 
And a barrel costs $25. So that's pretty cheap oil. It's it's cheap that's oil. a bad joke. Yeah. Gold is up about 12.5% in those two-year period from around $1,600 an ounce to just under $1,800 an ounce. Bitcoin, something that's in the news quite regularly, had a gain of 295%. So from $12,417 to $49,077 from the first week of February 2020 to the first week in 2022. Interesting. Interesting. And of course, we're not recommending any of these things. These are just facts, right? Exactly. So we should state as well that in addition to these numbers that you spoke about, there's been a lot of volatility since the start of the COVID pandemic in March of 2020. And it's funny because obviously in the early days of the pandemic, there was tons of volatility in the stock markets, as everybody probably remembers, we're down about 35%. But we're getting back into a period now, two years later, where the amount of volatility during the average trading day is pretty remarkable. I mean, there were just a couple of weeks ago, there was one day the S&P 500 opened the trading session down 4.6% on the day. And by the end of the trading session, the market actually closed up slightly. That is a significant day. Yeah, a 5% swing in one day. That's right. And there's a lot of points when the index is trading at 4,500 or something, 5% is a pretty significant number. Returns in January were not that good in equity markets. In fact, I think they say it was the worst month since March of 2020. But obviously, we've got to look past a one-month return. So we should spend a little bit of time talking about what short-term is versus long-term and the probability of having a positive equity return. So the data shows us that in a one-year period, there's about a 27% chance of having a negative return. So that's any one-year period. That's right. So that's from 90 years of data on the S&P 500. Now that number goes down to a 17% chance of a negative return over three-year periods and 13% over five-year periods, 6% over 10-year periods. In other words, 94% of the time over a 10-year period, the markets have shown positive returns. When we start questioning or investors start questioning one-month periods or worse, one-hour periods, we've got to refocus on the bigger picture. So it's easy to fall prey to the events happening at the moment and to the headlines that are coming out in real time. But those headlines today have very little impact or effect over a longer period of time and certainly not much longer than 60 minutes. It has been a crazy ride intraday. That's something that we don't want to ignore, but... What do you do with that as an investor? You can't really do much. When the market opens up down 4.6% and then closes up on the day, there's not a whole lot investors can do with that information. No. So I do like how you reframed that 94% of the time over a 10-year period, you have a positive return. I think most investors would accept that. But let's talk about something I want to call shadow busting. So according to tradition, if Punxsutawney Phil or what was the one in Nova Scotia? Schenectady Sam. Schenectady Sam or any of these other groundhogs emerges from their den and see their shadow. Supposedly, we're going to have six more weeks of winter. And if it doesn't see its shadow, we'll have an early spring. So this to me is kind of like flipping a coin to get results. I guess the long-term average you pointed out was that Punxsutawney Phil comes out at around 50% probability. So that means that on either side of the results, there's a 50% outcome. He'll either see his shadow or not see his shadow. But what about the other variables? I mean, is it cloudy? Is it snowing? Is it, I don't know, bitterly cold like it is in Calgary right now and Punxsutawney Phil doesn't want to come out? Does Punxsutawney Phil get scared from all the people that have gathered at Gobbler's Knob? I mean, those things have to be taken into consideration, don't they? Absolutely. So I want to talk about probability distributions. 
Now, this is going to get a little technical, but I want to do it in a fun way. So if we factor in all these variables, we can develop a distribution curve. We can just look back at, I don't know, the last 50 years of, I don't even know, when did you say Punxsutawney Phil started doing this? 1887. Okay. So actually more than 50 years of data. You could take all the data from each year. You could just put it into a distribution curve. And that curve would basically tell us what the average results will be. So once we establish that distribution curve, we can actually calculate the volatility of results. And we calculate it by standard deviation. So if you have this bell curve and the average or the middle is 50% of the time the groundhog seen his shadow, and we factor in the other variables affecting the outcome, we might say that the measure of volatility by standard deviation is something around, let's say, 15%, just for argument's sake. So within one standard deviation, there's a range of probabilities from a high of 65% and a low of 35%. How's that calculated? It's just saying that, okay, if your average is 50% and your risk level is 15%, if you go one standard deviation to the right, it means it's 50 plus 15, it's 65%. If you go one standard deviation to the left, it's 50 minus 15. So it's 35%. That's basically how it's calculated. Right on. Okay. But if we go out two standard deviations, we see the range is now 80% chance of seeing a shadow all the way down to a 20%. So knowing that, we can say with some certainty based on the empirical rule and statistics, and that empirical rule says that based on a, a regular distribution curve, there's a 95% chance of a groundhog either seeing or not seeing his shadow. That kind of makes sense. But that also means there's 5% chance of something else occurring to interrupt the results. So why am I going on and on about this, Greg? What question? You tell me. I'll tell you, because it's just statistics. It's just math. So it's kind of like stock market returns. So in the stock market, for this example, we'll use the S&P 500. And we tend to use the S&P 500 because... It has the most data out there. It's an easy one to gather data from. So the average annual return over the last 80 to 90 years has been something around 8% per year. The standard deviation or the measure of volatility on those returns has been calculated, a real number, as 15%. So this means that in that same example, if you have a distribution curve and in the middle, the average is 8%, 68% of the time, if you go out one standard deviation either to the right or to the left, your range of outcomes is going to be between negative 7% and 23%. Is my math right there? Yeah, it should be. 8 minus 15, 8 plus 15. So if we go out two standard deviations, this means that 95% of the time, we'll see returns between minus 22% and plus 38%. But that also means that 2.5% of the time, we could see results that are worse than minus 22%, And two and a half percent of the time, we could see results that are better than plus 38%. So when people are predicting stock markets or the returns, you can say with some certainty that, look, I know the empirical rule and statistics. I've looked at a distribution curve and I can tell you with some certainty that 95% of the time, the market is going to return within two standard deviations, a range of minus 22% and plus 38%. So that's not really going out on a limb to predict that. It's about as useful as relying on a caged animal speaking groundhoggies to a select group of citizens of one town describing if they have seen their shadow or not. It's just describing what's occurred. Well, and I think the important thing is that when you talk about the high likelihood, meaning two standard deviations from the mean, 
is the low is minus 22% and the high is plus 38%. And so, of course, that reflects the fact that the mean is a positive number, that the expected return based on the historical mean is 8%, plus or minus those two standard deviations. If you're looking at a distribution curve on a piece of paper, it's tilting towards the right side, which is a positive return. And so, like we talked about last week with Allison and other speakers, what we're talking about is just probabilities. When you invest in the stock market, for example, you have an expectation of a positive return because two-thirds of the time or whatever the numbers were we talked earlier over certain different periods of time, the markets are positive. And a certain amount of time, as it turns out, only 6% over 10 years, but greater over shorter periods of time, the return could be negative. And as everyone that listens to this podcast knows, that's why we typically have an asset allocation strategy that has something in the portfolio other than stocks. Because there will be periods of time where stocks aren't positive. Even in long periods, as you point out, like 94% of the time, the stock market will be up, but it still means 6% of the time it'll be down. Exactly. And I think that's the critical thing about probabilities that everyone needs to understand is that if you have a 10-year period and stock returns are negative, it's not unexpected. It is expected. It's just expected at a relatively lower probability level than some other outcome. Well, now I'm going to say with certainty, I know exactly when spring will start, Greg. You do? Yeah. When? March 21st. Ah, ah, good point. Well, <laughs> what I was going to say is that, hey, if it looks like spring's going to be six weeks off because the groundhog saw his shadow, well, that's still going to be an early spring for Calgary. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Normally, spring doesn't start until about May 1st. <laughs> or, so, or July. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but just before we finish off, I do want to talk a little bit about... Groundhog Day, the movie. Okay. And so for the eight or 10 people out there that maybe haven't seen the movie, Bill Murray's character essentially relives Groundhog Day over and over for presumably a very, very, very long time. And of course, the Sonny and Cher song that you heard at the beginning of this, he wakes up to every single morning and that's how he knows that it's Groundhog Day all over again. But what happens in the movie is Bill Murray's character, because he keeps living the same day over and over again, he's confused at first, but he starts to use the day to improve himself. So in one scene, he's going in. Sorry, it's the music where he's improving himself. Ah, right on. Yeah. So in one scene, he goes in and it takes his first piano lesson. And of course, by the end of the movie, he's an expert piano player playing in a band. He does other things to improve himself. He learns to carve ice sculptures. He becomes knowledgeable on a variety of topics, things like that. So when you think about Groundhog Day as it relates to the pandemic, and a lot of us, well, Groundhog Day, same thing over and over again. It's interesting to look at some of the many ways that many of us have used the time to improve ourselves. For instance, fitness. I can't say I'm one of those that did that, but Colin, you did. You've become something of a he-man over the last couple of years. Trying. But you look at Peloton, the maker of fitness bikes and other online subscription products. So their sales rose from $714 million in 2019, pre-pandemic, to $1.82 billion in 2020 and $4 billion in 2021. So you're talking about a 563% increase in two years. That's crazy. It is crazy. Also, as many people will recall, it was virtually impossible to buy fitness equipment such as home gyms or weights during the high demand in the early going of the pandemic and some of the early supply shortages that at that time were basically caused by physical lockdowns. I remember trying to buy a 
bike for my son for his birthday and it was pretty tough. But what else? So musical instruments. So tens of millions of people used the time to learn a new instrument. So in the UK, I was reading an article, it's estimated that over a million adults took up a new instrument just in the first year of the pandemic alone. In the US, sales from an online instrument retailer called Sweetwater jumped over 50% from 2019 to 2020 to over a billion dollars in sales. That's significant. And that's while certain bricks and mortar musical instrument stores of close, unfortunately, were closing down because people couldn't get out. Learning new languages in 2020 alone, over 30 million people attempted to learn a new language and apps such as Duolingo and Babbel saw their sales and usage increase exponentially. I believe Duolingo is actually a free app. So anyone looking to learn a new language, as it turns out, a lot of the languages that people are learning, they're learning in advance of anticipating when travel opened up again. And so people are trying to plan their trips to Spain or to Europe, and they're learning new languages in advance of hoping for that eventual reopening of borders and travel, things like that. Did anybody learn groundhoggies during the lockdown? I'm not sure. Not in the article that I was reading specifically. <laughs> Speaking of reading, as you'd expect, physical and ebook sales jumped sharply during the pandemic. And that whole shift to ebooks, of course, was something that was very dramatic during the pandemic as people had to stay in. There was also things like connecting, connecting or reconnecting with other people. So you've got Zoom and other apps that allowed people to connect virtually, given that they couldn't connect physically during the pandemic. And I can say for myself, I've got a group of close friends that I've known since I was a young lad and university friends and people like that. And people that I might only see once or twice a year or even less than that, and maybe even talk to maybe every two or three months. And there's a group of us that have been meeting virtually on Zoom for the last two years. And it's been fantastic every week. And lots of people are doing that. So there have been really positive things about the pandemic, and not to absolutely downplay the horrible health outcomes for many people and the number of deaths, which has just been totally tragic. But it has shown people, I think, that they need to make time for other things, which is one of the great things in Groundhog Day. It's what made it such a great movie. Yeah, it's like when he accepted that the days were just the same over and over again, he kind of slowed down a little bit. Like, I find we, pre-pandemic, we were in such a busy rat race, and when that closure was forced upon us, it gave everybody a time to slow down. Now, unfortunately, things like the sale of puzzles were hard to come by early on and we're selling at a premium. But anyways, we could go on and on about that. But speaking of which, Greg, we haven't done this for a while. So I wanted to get back to this a little bit. I wanted to tell you about a couple of books and shows that I've been reading and watching because it's fun. Right on. So a book that I've been reading lately is called Atomic Habits. I would highly recommend this to anybody listening. I think we've mentioned it before. We have. And some shows I'm watching right now, because there's time to do it, The Righteous Gemstones. Have you seen this one yet? I have not. You have to watch this one. It's John Goodman. John yes. Goodman? Is that his yeah, name? Yeah, John Goodman. Yep. Yeah. And he is a pastor of a mega church. It's a comedy. It's pretty funny. Ozark, have you been watching that one? Haven't seen the first half of the last season yet, but I will. It's on the list. Very good. Billions just came out again. You've been watching okay, that Okay, yep. Haven't seen it in years. Which actually, for anybody listening, is not really how the world of finance works, but it's an interesting show regardless. For sure. And one I've recently started watching is called Archive 81. You heard of that one? I have not. That one's on Netflix. 
I won't ruin it for you, but it's a bit of a thriller. Well, right on. Yeah, how about you? Well, as far as streaming shows, for example, my wife and I, we subscribe to a streaming service called BritBox, which has a lot of British, the British have fantastic crime shows. And so the show we're watching, which is called A Silent Witness, is about forensic pathologists. And so, of course, they're trying to solve a murder and find the cause of deaths every episode. The thing about this show is it's been running continually since 1996. So there's 24 seasons, and apparently a 25th is in the works right now. Can't they just let it die? No, apparently not. There's <laughs> 10 episodes per season. So we're currently on season 13. So I won't be watching anything else probably for quite some time. That's but good. it's excellent. I would strongly recommend if people like British crime dramas that BritBox and many of the shows, other ones are Midsummer Murders, which I believe there's also like 20 years of episodes there. Just killing people for 20 years exactly. in yeah. the summertime. Usually it's one <laughs> small town that they have all of these murders in too. So, Like Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so that's that. I have not picked up a new book recently, but I'm starting to feel like I'm losing my ability to speak, and so I'll have to be doing that really soon. <laughs> well, maybe we should wrap it up there for today's show. So thanks for joining us. Well, just thanks for continuing to follow us. Exactly. And until next time. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2022.